that. Appreciate that. I never heard that song, and what a great truth that somebody did die for you. And really, that ought to, boy, that ought to speak to your heart. What a blessing. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Revelation chapter number 2, Revelation 2, and uh, verse number 18, we're looking at the churches, that uh, the messages that were given to the churches there in the book of Revelation, and these were real churches, they were real places, they existed, and God had a message specifically for each and every one of them, and I've said this several times, I'll probably repeat some of this stuff every time we cover a church, because I believe it warrants it, and it's valid, and it's worth it, that uh, some people take these churches as ages, and I'm not saying that that is not true, Uh, there's probably some truth to that as well. Uh, I kind of look at them as they very well could be different states of churches. Some churches, we looked at the church of, uh, um, well, the one that was persecuted, Smyrna, there it is. And I got all, so many highlights in here, I can't even see which one's highlighted. And, uh, uh, but the church of Smyrna that was, was, uh, was persecuted, really, and, uh, and, and boy, there are churches even today that are persecuted. We... Sometimes some of this stuff is so far removed from us because we tend to think in our world. We tend to think in uh, the terms of what we know, and we know American Christianity. We know American churches. We know churches that are around here, and we think, well, there's no churches around here that are persecuted, uh, and really there's not. Uh, but here is not the whole world, and if, you, uh, if you've run into, or if you remember, even back in our missions month, uh, the brother to, to um, Korea. Uh, and certainly there is persecution to the churches that are in Korea. Uh, certainly there is persecution to the churches that are in uh, some of the African places and some of the places that are uh, very um, dominated by, uh, by Muslim religions. And so there is persecution that exists today, just that we don't see a lot of that. And we don't tend to think of those things. It's not a fault uh, of ours. It's just a, uh, just a fact uh, that we just don't see it and therefore we don't think of it, but it does exist. And so the letter tonight is to the church that is at um, verse number 18, Thyatira. And Thyatira is one of the smaller towns really that the letters were written unto. And I want you to notice that this is the longest letter that was written to the churches. And I know you're thinking, oh boy, we're going to be here for a long time tonight. Uh, no, just like I said, the letter that was the shortest to Smyrna, we wouldn't be there a short time. Uh, tonight, we'll, we won't be here a long time either. I don't believe, I hope not. I guess time will tell. Uh, but, uh, but as we look at this, it is the longest, longest message of all the messages. And so if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 18, the Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church... And Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your work. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh, 
and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can. And Father, as we look into your word, God, I pray that you'd give us uh, clarity of mind, clarity of understanding of these passages. And God, I pray that you'd help us and that you'd speak to hearts. And Father, we'll be careful to thank you for that and give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we go through these messages, they are all a little bit distinct. And I want you to notice the, they're, they're all interesting in the attributes of Christ that they point out in the very beginning. Uh, and they, they tend to go along with the message. I don't know if you've noticed that. And I've tried to point that out each and every time. But you look here in verse number 18, and it says, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Now I understand the eyes of uh, like unto a flame of fire. That was pretty easy. I would read that and I would see that uh, automatically as kind of a judgment. Um, and uh, you ever seen those those glares? And uh, and so this guy one time he was out in the woods. And, uh, and he was hunting, he was had, going squirrel hunting, had his gun, and he was walking around, and, and, uh, and he comes across another fellow that's just sitting out there on a log, and he doesn't have a gun. And he says, well, what are you doing out here? And he says, well, I'm hunting squirrel. He said, no way. He said, you don't even have a gun. He said, oh, I don't need a gun. He said, are you kidding me? He said, no, no, I don't need a gun. He said, he said them squirrels come out there on the branch. He said, I just glare at them, and they fall over dead. He says, you are, you are pulling my leg. He said, oh, no. He said, you, he said, you sit down with me and watch for a little bit. He said, all right. So he sat down. After a little bit, uh, finally a, a squirrel come hopping out on the branch on a tree. Boy, he just glared and gave that thing just a, the, the evil eye. Boy, that thing, sure enough, his, it fell out of that tree and it was dead as a doornail. He said, that guy said, that is amazing. He said, oh, yeah. He said, it's incredible. He said, I used to bring my wife, but she would tear him up too bad. So I quit bringing her. <laughs> you know, the, the evil eye, I mean, have you ever seen somebody, some people can give a, a mean glare. I mean, it's just like amazing. And, uh, uh, but you look at, at Christ and that eye as a flaming fire is, of course, it is a judgment. It is a look that says, um, says hey, uh, you need to straighten up. You know, every parent kind of knows that look when they look at their kid. And, of course, the children know that look, too, because they don't want to look at their parent and see that look and receive it and say, boy, I better straighten up because if I don't, boy, I'm really going to get in trouble. And, uh, and it's that idea that, hey, the, the eyes as a flame of fire that would be a judgment. And the feet, as I looked this up in the brass, the brass really stands for righteousness throughout Scripture. And, uh, and the Bible says there, uh, it equates his feet... And you got to remember, these are symbols because it's always using the words like and as. So they're just symbols. His feet are not brass and his eyes are not fire. But look at what it says there. It says in the last phrase, and his feet are like fine brass. Now brass is righteousness. And, uh, and you put those two things together that his eyes are like as flames of fire and his feet are like as fine brass, and you have the righteous judgment of God. Sometimes when we read judgment of God, 
Um, we read through, sometimes I'm reading through uh, the book of Ezekiel, and I read through Isaiah and some of the other prophets, and, and you read those and you say, man, that is some serious judgment that God is, is dishing out to those people. Understand this, that God's judgment is always righteous. You just mark it down. Uh, God does not judge unrighteously, but every judgment that he judges is a righteous judgment. We are going to see some judgment that's going to take place in this chapter, uh, and, and God is always righteous in his judgment. So understand that. I want you to notice the first thing that we see, and it's like this in almost every one of them. He starts off in verse number 19, I know thy works. Almost every one of them uh, starts off, I believe every one of them starts off with that phrase, I know thy works. And so this is not new. Uh, but, but we understand that God doesn't miss a beat of what we're doing. Sometimes uh, uh, it's easy, it's, it's fun preaching, uh, that, and, and this is what we taught our, our, this verse to our children. Uh, the end of the book of Numbers, uh, in one of the last parts of that verse, it said, be sure your sin will find you out. And, uh, and boy, that's, that's good preaching. I mean, uh, it's biblical for one thing, and it's true that, that you will be found out if you do wrong. But the flip side of that as well is that God knows the good works that we do in this world. And that's a blessing to know that. That's a blessing to understand that God is righteously taking notes on the good things. There's many a thing that you do that people don't see. Uh, there is lots of behind-the-scenes work that goes on in ministry and in Christian life and in just in general in compassion and dealing with people that sometimes is not seen by a single solitary soul, but God sees all of it. And God pays attention to that. And so it is a blessing for him to note down, he's saying, I know the work that you have put into it. And look at verse number 18 as we look, 19, as we look at the works that he mentions. And he says, and charity. Now charity is defined as love in action. And, uh, and listen, uh, that's internal. That is something that is not outwardly. I mean, uh, you know, some people may run around and do a charitable act so that other people can see it and it can be broadcast for everyone to see, but God knows that that's not a true charitable work, but rather a picture op for everyone else to see. God sees the charity work, the work that is love in action that's motivated by a correct motivation of love and service that would say, hey, I want to do something that would show my love for somebody else or for Christ. And, uh, and so that charity is noted by God. Not only the, the, the charity, but he says, and the service. Uh, service, oftentimes, uh, I would define as behind the scenes. And, uh, and I tell you what, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that gets done. And, and you don't always see it, and you don't always know what it is. And uh, if, if you teach a Sunday school class, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes preparation that I don't see. There's a lot of uh, calling or texting other people and, and saying, hey, uh, hope to see you at class. It's behind-the-scenes work, and nobody else sees that except for the person maybe that receives that. Uh, but that's a service, and that is a work, again, that is not in public view. But God sees every bit of it. God knows what's going on. And that is a blessing that he labels these things. So he knows their charity. He knows their service. Look at the next one. The faith. Again, faith is not an outward visible thing. You, you can't just run around and say, well, I have great faith. Well, you probably have pride too. I mean, it's just not something that's visible or outwardly displayed. Faith, by and large, is something that's private. It's something that's really between you and God, and there's no good way, if I can put it that way, in our human terms, to define how much faith do you have. We struggle with that. 
And there's no good way to really define it. I mean, we know that the Bible says if you have faith as of the grain of a mustard seed, and God's saying, hey, listen, just the tiniest bit of faith will get you a long distance in your life. But really, on a practical level, I'm a very concrete fella. I like to be able to measure things. I like a tape measure. I like to be able to build. I like to be able to touch and to feel. And faith, you can't define that. You can't really measure that. You can't really say, well, uh, these guys are of great faith. It's a hard thing for us to, to, to grade or note or, or understand the depth of a person's faith. But God understands it. God can see every bit of it. And he can measure it. And he knows how much faith. And by the way, uh, our faith ought to grow as we, as we grow in Christ. And so we see faith and Christ. Well, we don't see it, but God sees it. And he says, I know thy faith. How about the next one? Patience. Boy, patience. Sometimes you don't see patience, but you see impatience. That we do see. Uh, but, but sometimes you don't know how patient that person has been or what has happened in that person's All you see is the implosion that takes place. You say, man, that guy's impatient. Well, maybe he had a really rough day. Maybe things did not go. Well, maybe he's been extremely patient throughout the entire day and all the problems that have been going on, and we just simply don't know. And so patience also. Hey, I'm glad that God notes these things, and he's paying attention, and he knows what's going on in the inside. And I, I want you to note this. Look at what he says at the end. This is, one of, this is the only one that says this, and he says it again, and thy works. Isn't that interesting? He sandwiches all of those things in between. I know thy works. Then he labels them all off, the charity, the service, faith, thy patience, and thy works, and he puts it again. Now, anytime you see redundancy in the Word of God, it's there for the purpose of saying, hey, pay attention. I, I found that interesting because in all these messages to all the churches, he says, I know thy works. We ought to pay attention to the fact that God knows what is being done. God knows the investment that we make. God knows the time constraints that we put in. And God knows all of our labor that we invest. But I love the phrase that he uses after this. And he says, and the last to be more than the first. Isn't that interesting? You know what he's saying? That all these things ought to grow. That all these things should be increasing. That our charity, our service, our patience, our, our, our faith, our, our, all of these things, our service, they should all be growing and they should, we should start at one point, but the second point of works ought to be more than where we started from. And that would be that we're growing in those areas. I find it interesting as I thought about these things and the very fact that they're not measurable, they're not palpable, they're not touchable, they're not something that we can run around and say, well, let me measure your faith, let me measure your patience, let me measure your service, but they're things that are kind of internal, and I thought, boy, uh, you know, it's very interesting, they line up not, by, not completely, but they do line up very interestingly with Galatians 5.22 that says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, that's in our list, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And I thought, that's interesting. These, by and large, grow with uh, a line up, not completely, but with the work and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, how can we grow fruit of the Spirit? You say, well, you can't make fruit grow. No, you can't, but you know what you can do? You can nurture and water the plant so that it does grow. And that is part of the work. I mean, that we, that we would take the water of the Word and we would feed ourselves so the fruit of the Spirit can grow and become more in our life than when we started. And all of those things play together. And what I'm saying is, I may not see your faith grow. I may not see your patience increase. I may not see your charitable acts that go on. But God does. And He watches everything. And He knows what we complete in our life. And what a blessing to know that God 
sees all of that. And he notes that to those churches. And so we see the works that they were done. All internal works. Very interesting uh, as those are brought out uh, for the church of Thyatira. I want you to notice as well the wickedness that was noted. He says there in verse number 20. He says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophet, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, we've been studying the adult Sunday school class, the life of Elijah. Uh, boy, it just happened to line right up well with us for, for, for Jezebel and Ahab. We just got through covering all of them. Jezebel was a very wicked, wicked woman in the Old Testament. And uh, matter of fact, I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, her testimony and her name was so marred that we don't even name our dogs Jezebel. That's true. You think about it, Jezebel is lost on the name chart. It, it, it does not exist. Anybody who has any kind of Bible reference or knowledge knows that Jezebel is not a good name to choose. And, uh, and, and so, I personally, this is just me, I don't think this woman's name was Jezebel. I think it is a type that is given. And I think that because of how wicked that Jezebel was. Now, you can believe she was a literal person. That's fine. It's really not going to vary much. But I just think it is more of an illustrative effect uh, of, of the Old Testament of Jezebel and her wickedness. And so look at the things that are, are given here in verse number 20. He says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel. And, uh, and that word sufferest means to allow or permit. Okay, sometimes we'll read that and we'll think, oh, they're suffering through it. No, they're not suffering through it. They are allowing and permitting Jezebel to be teaching in their church. And so they're consenting to that. Um, it would be like saying today uh, that, that, uh, that, oh, that church has Hitler for a Sunday school teacher. You understand that reference? You're like, oh, that'd be bad. That would be rough. And that's kind of the idea that he's giving across that Jezebel would be teaching uh, and that they were allowing that in the church. Hey, listen, uh, we've certainly got to be careful of what we allow in a church. There's no doubt about that. That's what he's saying to them. This is one of the problems, that you as a church have allowed this kind of wickedness to creep in and to be a part of the church. Not only the consenting of it, but notice the conceit of it. She says there in verse number 20, uh, or the Bible says rather of her, that she calleth herself a prophetess. Well, you've got to be careful when people are seeking to elevate themselves. It's a warm, red flag should be going up left and right when people are trying to tell you how good they are. You ought to be concerned about that. Why? Because that's pride. That's arrogance. That's self-exaltation. That's saying, well, I'm this and I'm that. And, and, uh, and, and she was telling everyone else, hey, she, she said, I'm a prophetess. I'm sent from God. Uh, and, and so that is a problem. Uh, and there is a conceit with that. And there is a prideful arrogance that goes about that. Look at the counsel that she gives that she would teach. Listen, we've got to be careful who is teaching. Leading is, is uh, an important role in a church. And so we have to guard against those things. Not only that, I want you to notice the corruption that's taking place. This is the wickedness that was taking place there in the church of Thyatira. Uh, the corruption was to seduce uh, what does that word mean? To draw, the, here's the dictionary definition. To draw aside from the path of rectitude. That would be right or justice or what is good. To draw aside from the path of rectitude and duty in any manner. To entice to evil, to lead astray, to tempt and lead to iniquity. And the last one is to corrupt. That's what it means. 
And so that is what is taking place in this church in Thyatira, that, that this, this woman, Jezebel, for lack of a, a better name, and I, I think that's probably a very appropriate name, had been uh, drawing people away from the path of righteousness. That's exactly what he's saying. There was two forms of it. One was fornication. Uh, that is, that is a, a moral, physical sin that was being brought into this church in Thyatira. And he's saying, hey, you better be careful morally that leadership stays above board. There is a constant draw in America and in churches that is drawing on churches, trying to pull them down to a worldly level. It is nonstop, and it goes on over and over and over. I, I may, don't stop me if I've told you this story. I just like to tell the story. All right? I remember on deputation, I, we had a church. They supported us. I'll leave the name out. It doesn't matter because they've closed their doors by now. But, but uh, I remember we went to that church, and, uh, and we were told, hey, they're, they're a good church. And by and large, they were a decent church. But after a while, a matter of fact, this, this, this same exact story could fit more than one church because I've seen it play out in several churches, not just one. We went to the church, and, and guess what? The music had all changed in that church. And it wasn't long before that's a downward slide of things that are taking place. And it wasn't long before the church said, by the way, uh, you, we changed the name of our church. And then this and that, and, and before long, we actually got a letter in the mail that said, I'm sorry, we, our church has declined and we are no longer able to support you as a missionary. Our sincerest apologies. You know what happened? Corruption seeped into that church and drew that church down till it was completely zilch. It was nothing. And that takes place over and over and over and over again. And I'm just telling you that the church in Thyatira, he, Thyatira, he was telling them, hey, there has been a corruption on a moral level that has taken place in this church and it needs to be guarded against. Not just corruption on a, on a moral standard that had been lowered, but also I want you to notice corruption on a spiritual level. Hey, listen, both of those things are important to God. The world would have you to believe. Uh, matter of fact, the world and many, many people would tell you, well, you know, God just looks on the outward, on the inward, and the outward does not matter. Oh, no, both matter. Both are important before God. Um, and, and so we see that. And he says there is a moral decay and a moral corruption that has taken place in this church, but not just a moral corruption that has taken place, but a spiritual. They talk about uh, the fact that they were eating things that had been sacrificed unto idols. And that is a spiritual decay that comes into that church whenever idolatry or anything to do with idols uh, is mentioned and brought into a church. Boy, that's a scary place to be. And it was a spiritual issue that came down. And so we find uh, that both of those things are very important. And that was a wickedness that God was calling out in the church of Thyatira. So he sees their works, their internal works, their, their faith, their patience, their charity, uh, their, their uh, service. He sees their wickedness and he calls them on that. Notice the warning, and here's where the judgment of God comes in in verse number 21. He says unto this, he said, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Boy, isn't God so good? Sometimes we say, man, I wish God, we're funny. God's good. We're funny, but God's good. We say, man, I wish God would deal with that problem. And, and God is saying, I've given them, I'm giving them a time to repent. I'm giving them a time to get things right. I'm giving them a time to turn and look towards me. And, and, and in this case, uh, he's telling them, hey, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. And then when judgment call comes, 
Like I said, we're funny, God's right. We say, boy, that was kind of harsh. Aren't we a funny people? We're like, boy, I wish God would deal with that, and he'd deal with it now, and he's given them a space to repent, and then when God does deal with something and his judgment does fall, we're like, boy, that was kind of harsh, don't you think? Well, God sees things uh, through a different lens than we do because our vision is cloudy and we're sin-filled people and we, we don't see things the way that God does. But God did give her time to repent. And she did not repent in this case. Uh, and, and we find, look in verse number 22, we find the tribulation. Look at what happens. Behold, I will cast her in a, into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Now, I want to just take that phrase just for a moment, great tribulation. And I want to clarify that. I read that, and I thought, now what tribulation is this talking about? Matter of fact, this passage we're going to try and explain some of these things. But, but the great tribulation is, we're in the book of Revelation, so the first thing that comes to mind is the great tribulation that is coming. And I don't believe it's that. And I'll tell you why. Uh, the word tribulation simply means this, uh, tribulation, I didn't write it down. Tribute, I did. Tribulation means severe affliction. There's other passages that deal with severe affliction with God. I think it's the judgment of God uh, in this case uh, that is going to come or would come her way if she didn't repent. And uh, now I want to look at some of this and I want questions automatically come to mind. This is a message to the church, is it not? Well, yeah, you go back up to verse number 18 and, and it says unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things. So it is a message to the church. So then some questions automatically come to mind. Uh, they came to my mind. I don't know if they came to your mind, but here's some of the, mess, the, the, the questions that would come to mind because a church, in our mind, is, is a group of saved, baptized believers that have joined together. That's a local New Testament church. And so if that's the case, then we have this tribulation, this time of repentance. Um, and what is all of this? Here's the questions that come to mind. Number one, is Jezebel saved? That's the question that comes to mind, logically. Because you have to know, hey, there, there is a tribulation, there's judgment that's coming, and we don't have a definite answer. The second question that comes to mind, are those who commit adultery with her saved? That's a legitimate question. We're talking about a message to the church, so we have to ask these questions. And then the third question, what is the great tribulation? Let me just give you some of these. Um, number one, I don't think it matters either way whether Jezebel was saved or not. It really doesn't. It's, 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 it does not matter to us. Because the, the consequence and the message is still the same whether she's saved or whether she's not saved. Okay? So let's, that's, that's off the table. What about those who commit adultery with her? If she's logically in a church and she's logically drawing a following after her, the question is begged to ask, are these saved individuals who are falling in line with her and, and falling into sin with her, or are they unsaved people? You understand that they're in a church membership, there can be lost people. You understand that? We don't want that. Obviously, that's not our goal. That's not our intention. We try to uh, assure that people are saved. We try to assure that people are baptized. But you know what? Somebody could lie to my face and pull the wool right over my eyes and, and slip in, and they know they're lost, and I might not know that. And so that could happen. And so these could be lost people, but they could be saved people. Uh, they're, they're constantly warning in the New Testament, in the book of Timothy, we covered it for the past two Sunday mornings, that people can be drawn away doctrinally and that they can be led in air. That's why Paul told Timothy, hey, be careful. Hey, be sure of the things that you've learned and, and follow and, and stick with those things. So uh, to answer your question, I don't know and I don't know. Okay, isn't that helpful? But I do understand this tribulation. That's helpful. Go with me to the book of Savior Spot here in Revelation. 
and I hope that this truly does help you. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 is a passage that we generally use when we're talking about the Lord's Supper. And it's a wonderful passage. It's a great passage for that. It definitely deals with it. The Apostle Paul was dealing it with it in the church of Corinth. But I want you, there's a truth that perhaps evades us because we deal with it with the Lord's Supper, but there's a, there's a truth that is buried uh, here in these, these verses. And so let's jump down to verse number 28. He's already talked about how the Lord's Supper is to be administered and, and things of that nature. But look at what he says. There's a qualification of this Lord's Supper. And he's a warning, perhaps, would be a better word of, uh, to, for it. In verse number 28, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He goes on and he says, For this cause many among you are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That sleep is death. They were dead. And so what he's saying is, listen, there are those who partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. They have not examined themselves. They know they have sin in their life. But for, uh, for pride's sake and not to be singled out uh, and not to be left out, they would take of the Lord's Supper uh, to, their own, to their own destruction, for lack of a better word, to their own harm. And he says... That's why some are sick. That's the judgment of God that He's caused to come on them. And some, the Bible says, and many sleep or they are dead. Look with me in verse 31. It says there, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, He's saying, if you would examine yourself, and if you would get your life right before you take of the Lord's Supper, you wouldn't have that problem. That's what he's saying. If you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. That's what he's saying there. It's pretty simple. Verse 32. But when we are judged, watch this, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. In other words, if we don't judge ourselves, if we don't examine ourselves, if we don't take care of the sin that is in our life, then the Lord will judge us and it will come in a form of chastening in our life. You understand that? And then he says, he adds this phrase at the end, he said that we should not be condemned with the world. In other words, hey, the judgment of God on the life of the believer is that of chastening that He would scourge us as sons. The Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 12, that God would not allow us to continue in sin and live in such a way uh, without trying to correct our life. And so that is the judgment of God. Go back with me to Revelation chapter number uh, 2. So the judgment of God for the believer is the chastening rod of God. And the judgment rod of God for the world, as he says there in the end of verse 31, is condemnation. That's people who are lost. That's people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ that would be condemned for all of eternity. That is condemnation. So we see here a tribulation is simply a, a severe affliction. Go back with me to verse number 22, it says this, Behold, I will cast her into a bed with them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. In other words, if they're saved, tribulation would be the chastening rod of God. That God would chasten them and not allow them uh, to, to continue in that wickedness. If they are lost, it would be condemnation. It would be, it would be, and it would be death. It would be, uh, it would be the end of the road for them. And so uh, we see that really we could go either way uh, depending on the case scenario if they're saved people or if they're lost people. 
And so I want you to understand that tribulation is an affliction uh, that does come from God and would vary whether the person is saved or whether the person is lost. And that's what I, I get out of that. But I want to move on in verse number 24. And I want to finish this out. We have two things left. I want you to notice in verse number 24, but I say, un but, but unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. He's telling them in verse 24 and 25, watch. Hang on to what you have. I love verse 24 because you know what that tells me? I, I put down for that one, hallelujah. Amen. Not everyone is wrapped up in this corrupt mess. Not everyone has been drawn in. There are those who recognize the righteousness of God and the sin and wickedness that is going on and they have not been led astray. They have not dipped their colors morally. They have not dipped their colors spiritually, but they're walking with God and God is saying, hey, uh, hallelujah for you. And he says to them, I will not add another burden to you. In other words, hey, you keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to put more on you. The fact that you're standing faithfully in a place that is corrupted, you're doing well. And that's what he says in verse number 20, uh, 24. It's a blessing. And, and so it's really a hallelujah. Uh, that There are those who have not uh, fallen into this trap uh, or into this corruption that has taken place in the church. Verse number 25, he commends them, but he says to them, but that which ye have already, hold fast, Till I come. He's saying, hey, just, you just keep doing what you are doing. You live for God. You do right. You stand for the truth. You stay away from the corruption. You stay away from the immorality. And you do what is right. And he tells them that. Hold on. And then I want you to notice in verse 26, we continue. Look at what he says. There's a work that, that is coming that he's going to give them. This is interesting in verse number 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. I've said this every time, and I probably will, because if you weren't here before, or maybe somebody just catches just this one message, I want you to understand the overcomer is from 1 John chapter number 5 and verse number 4 and 5. The Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Boy, that's clear. I love that verse. And it helped me so much to bring that in and understand, hey, th those who overcome are the people that are saved. It's not a you have to hold on to the end and if you don't make it, you lose your salvation. You understand that? Salvation cements it. You are an overcomer. Those verses clarify that. And so we find those verses. That is the overcomer. Now look with me again. He says in verse number 26, And he that overcometh. Now we have an addendum here that has not been seen and will not be seen in any other messages to the church. Look at what he says. He that overcometh and keepeth my Works. There's an addendum that is added on to this message that's not added on to any of the other churches. Go back with me to uh, chapter 2 and verse number... Verse number, it's on the split page. Verse number 7. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the, seven, unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. He does not say to him that overcometh and like he does in our passage here. Look with me in verse number 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. There is no and added on to that. Look with me in verse number 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh 
will I give to eat. There is no and added to any three of those. Go, we read our, our passage that we just looked at. Uh, look with me in verse chapter number 3 and verse number 5. We'll jump ahead just for, for, for sake of argument. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. He does not say uh, and that you have to do something else. Look with me ahead in verse number 12 of chapter 3. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He does not give him an and uh, for something else that must be completed. This is the only church in Thyatira that he adds an addendum to the overcoming. You understand that? So look with me again. He says in verse 26, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. So we do have something that's a little different. Number one, they are saved because they're overcomers. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. They are saved. But number two, they are faithful until the end. That's the addendum that he adds to that. It's a specific role that he tacks on to the church of Thyatira and he says if you will be faithful till the end now he's not going to give a salvation promise many of these are salvation promises that deal specifically with salvation but the message to the church of Thyatira is not a message a promise of salvation but rather a place of service that he'll give you afterwards so let's go on and read the rest and he that overcomes and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Verse 27, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. Now there's a lot there. But let me just mention this. We see the addendum that's added on in verse number 26. So he's an overcomer. He's saved. But he also is faithful until the end. He's walking with God. He's not corrupted by the wickedness of the world or of the church that where they're going or by anything else. He's faithful to God all the way to the end. And God gives him an assignment in verses 26 and 27. And he says, hey, he shall, him will I give power to over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And I'm just saying that God has opened up a position and saying, hey, you are going to be a ruler. And that's just, that's just how I see it. That he said, it's very clear, an addendum. Then there's an assignment that he says, hey, you're going to rule. And, uh, and you're going to be a part of a leadership position. And he says there in verse number 28, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star, the star would represent royalty, and the morning star would specifically represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so he would give him, uh, I, I don't know, I'm assuming maybe the dignity of God to rule in those places. I don't know. I, I, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, don't, I can't get it all, but that's kind of the idea that I'm getting. And so we find that, hey, for those who are faithful, for those who are living right and they make it to the end, hey, there is an extra blessing that God would give them of serving and being a ruler with the Lord. You can, uh, when is that going to take place? I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But I do know this, that that's, that's what that text seems to indicate in those verses. And so we have the work that is there. And I want you to notice in verse number twenty. 9, and it's stated in every one of them, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He's saying, hey, pay attention to what God's telling you. We said repetition is God's way of, of emphatically stating something to every single church. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Every one of you have ears. Looking around. I see everyone has ears. And so God said, hey, you need to pay attention. It's applicable to all of you. It falls in our lap that God wants us to hear what the Spirit, God, would say to these churches. And it's applicable to our life. And so we need to live a life 
that is right. We need to, uh, we have so many people, boy, they want to they wanna cast blame. Well, I'm this way because the, the church previously that we looked at last week, it was a wicked environment. Satan's seat was there. God says, oh, no, 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 you, you can live right. They did. Amen. You live right. Even in spite of the wickedness that's in the world. Well, it's the corruption from within. That's, that's what drove me this way. No, there were people that, in the church of Thyatira who were living right and doing right. And yes, there was corruption within the church. But you can still live right. And you can still do right. And he still encourages you. And he still wants you to do right. And he tells you, hey, God is saying, I can see what man cannot see. I can see your faith. I can see your patience. I can see your service. I can see the things that other people will and cannot see. And I know what you're doing. You just keep doing right. You just keep living right. You just keep serving the Lord. And don't let other people be a stumbling block or an excuse for you to live wrong. You just do right. And that's the message over and over that God gives to these churches. You do right. Old Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right till the stars fall. That's pretty much the bottom line. Just do right till the stars fall. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the message to the church of Thyatira was the longest message. What a message that he gave them. There was corruption that creeped into the church. But he said, hey, hey, there were those, be encouraged, there were those who did not follow, did not fall into that corruption, but they lived right. Father, I pray that you would just bless each and every person. God, thank you for your word. So, so deep, so, such, a live, such an incredible word in all reality. And God, how it speaks to us day in and day out, written almost 2,000 years ago. And so relevant to today. So relevant to the society and the time in which we live. And God, truly, we see a little piece of each one of these churches that would apply to our time, to our day, to our age, to our life, and to our church. So God, I pray that you'd help us to live right. God, I pray that we would heed the warning that you tacked on to the ever, every one of the messages to, to uh, hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. God, to be attentive to you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. I pray that you'd encourage them. I pray that you'd strengthen them. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the music is playing, maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just want to pray for strength. I've got to help you to stand right and do right. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord that really it's a hallelujah he didn't add any more burden to you but just keep living right and doing right maybe you just want to thank the Lord that the spirit would speak to our churches would speak to our hearts would speak to our lives whatever the need the altar is open